morning, One Church. What's up? My name is Carlo. I get to be teaching pastor here. I'm so glad that you are connecting with us wherever you're at, watching on a phone, watching on a computer. We're glad that you are connecting with us this morning. Shout out to everyone. If this is your first time connecting with One Church, we're especially glad that you've chosen to check us out this morning. Uh, We're continuing our journey through the book of Acts with a brand new series titled Compelled. So in this series, we're going to be looking at Acts chapters 12, through 16. Again, uh, these little mini-series we've been doing in the book of Acts have been all about getting us to really see how the early church connects to who we are as the church today, and we've discovered some great things in there. You can go to onechurch.tv and catch up, uh, click on sermons, messages. You can catch up on all of those messages that we've done. But today, we're going to be in Acts chapter 12, talking about uh, being compelled to pray, being compelled to pray as we dig into this compelled Series Now, compel is a strong word. The dictionary just me- defines it as the urge uh, or forceful or irresistible, uh, some force that drives us to do something, to move some. Some of us are compelled to take a nap right now. You've been compelled to go and eat. And when, when we say yes to Jesus, when we start following him, uh, we are compelled by him to live for him. It's this irresistible force of his grace. It's this uh, compelling love of his, his, this compelling sacrifice that he's made for us that really helps us make it through and follow him all of the way. So if you're here and listening and you're not following Jesus, let me encourage you that that same irresistible, compelling love and grace is uh, definitely available for you, and we'd love to see you take a step towards engaging that. So again, this week, we're going to talk about being compelled to pray, and we're going to be in Acts chapter 12. We'll get there in just a few minutes. Uh, Several years ago, I was driving a 12-passenger van from Fort Worth, Texas, back to Clarksville. I was at a conference with my wife, Jamie, and four interns, and uh, we were on our way back from this conference where we were learning about God stuff, Jesus stuff. It was a really cool time. We had a lot of fun. Road trip was awesome. Lots of sour worms for me. We were watching movies on what was at the time, my brand new MacBook. I loved that thing so, so much. So it was cold when we were in Texas, but we had no idea what we were driving into as we made our way back to Clarksville. So before we left Fort Worth, we went ahead and gathered and prayed uh, just because that's what you do when you're on a church trip. Uh, In hindsight, we probably prayed more out of superstition than uh, really wanting God to protect us. I don't know. Not trying to judge everyone, but I can judge myself. I probably was just praying out of superstition. So we prayed hit the road, and that's a long road trip if you've ever made that drive. So we got really close to home. We get through the town of Dover, which is really close uh, to where we are right now, relatively speaking. We weren't even doing about 30 miles an hour, and we come to our first bridge, and the bridge was completely covered in ice. We couldn't see it. We had no idea, and that van just took off with a mind of its own. It slammed into the left uh, concrete wall, which spun us around, and we were going headfirst into the right concrete wall, which on the other side of that was water. So I remember it like it was yesterday. You know, in hindsight, those things feel like they felt like an hour of time. It was really only a couple seconds that it went through. But I, I distinctly remember bracing myself for the cold water. I remember thinking, starting the process of how are we going to get out of this vehicle when we get into this cold water. Thankfully, none of that stuff happened. We, we slammed into the wall, airbags deployed, came to a, to a stop, and, and we were all shaken up. Thankfully, my wife and the students, and uh, yes, thank you, Jesus, my MacBook survived, and everything was okay in that wreck. Um, but man, it was really, really scary being just going from a fun time to just all of a sudden 
everything is going crazy. You're spinning out of control, and you're slamming into a wall. Real story. And some of you, you've been through things like that. I know that during that moment, I was compelled to do three things. Uh, Number one, I was compelled to not jerk the steering wheel. I was compelled, number two, to not slam on the brakes. Now, my driving training in real life, and I was in the Transportation Corps in the Army. I wear my driver's badge with pride, right? So my training kicked in, and don't do those things when you hit ice. Uh, But I was compelled to pray. I was compelled immediately to to, to do those two-word prayers. You know the ones I'm talking about, right? Like, oh, Jesus, like, Oh, Lord, help me. Some of y'all prayed some of those this morning. You said, holy. Maybe that's not a prayer, but, you know, still it has the word holy in it. It might count uh, in the right setting. But we, we pray these words. We say these two-line things. We were praying. We were calling out to God uh, in that moment, in that instant, because we knew we are about to be in trouble. Let me ask you, what's your default move in desperate times? Where do you turn to when the proverbial feces hits the fan in your life? What's your first response? During desperate times, do you panic or do you remember where real power lies? Do you jerk the wheel, try to get things back under your control, or do you trust that someone, someone bigger than you is able to help you through that situation? See, the reality is in hard times, no one really rises to the occasion. Most of us, we fall back to our lowest level of training, our lowest level of thinking. We default to our muscle memory, to what we've always done, what we're conditioned to do. But here's the thing about memory, about the brain. Uh, prayer makes a huge impact on how our brain works. The, uh, let me nerd out for just a little bit, but the science of neuroplasticity has already proven to us that the human mind, the human brain, is constantly being formed and shaped by our thoughts, by our actions, by our worries, by all of those things. It's constantly being shaped by that. In fact, researchers such as Dr. Carolyn Leaf and Andrew Newberg and others, they've written volumes on the power of prayer and its ability to shape our thoughts in a positive way. So if you've developed a habit of worry, a habit of fear, a habit of self-reliance, then that's probably what you're going to run to when things go crazy in your life. But if you've practiced the presence of God through prayer, all things are truly possible for you. No wonder the New Testament writers, like such as Paul, encourage us consistently, they encourage the church consistently to pray without ceasing. So that leads us to our big idea today, and it's just simply this. Prayer is not the only thing we can do, but it is the first thing that we should do. Prayer isn't the only thing we do, but it is the first thing we should do. So many times we reduce prayer to just this last resort. Well, I'll just pray for you. Well, all we can do is pray. How many times have you said that or heard that? And and what I propose, and I think what Scripture is challenging us to do, is to take prayer off of the shelf, take prayer off of the bench, and not use it as a second string option to whatever comes our way in life, but instead to realize communicating to God through prayer is actually one of, if not the most important thing that we can do, activities we can do. Think about it. If you are a Christ follower and you're watching this, you know that the first thing we do really in taking a step towards Jesus is we talk to him. We say, hey, God, I suck. You don't. I've blown it. You didn't. Help me. Forgive me. We have a conversation with him. And that's really all that prayer is. So prayer isn't the only thing we can do. There's other things we can do. Some of us are in the habit of trying to pray our way out of situations we worked our way into. 
And I do believe we ought to pray like it depends on God and work like it depends on us. But prayer isn't the only thing we can do, obviously, but it is the first thing that we should do. In, in the car accident I described to you, uh, prayer wasn't the only thing we could do. I mean, obviously, there was a lot of measures we took to be safe, as safe as possible. And even when the accident started, my training kicked in, and I did the right things to not roll that van over or not make a bad problem worse. But I, I promise you, the prayers of others who are praying for our safety and our prayer in that moment, I'm convinced it made all of the difference. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 12. I told you we'd get there in a few. We're going to look at Acts chapter 12, and we're going to see in the early church how prayer was an absolute game changer at a critical moment in the life cycle of the church. So I'm going to start reading in Acts chapter 12, starting in verse 1. It says this, about that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. So if you remember the last series we left off in Acts chapter 11, we're just continuing that story. The last series we did in Acts, we're just continuing that story. And this ruler, his name was Agrippa, he started coming after the local church. He started arresting people. In fact, verse 2, it says he had the apostle James, so that his brother's name was John, who wrote the gospel of John. So James is killed with the sword. And when Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. And this took place during the Passover celebration. And then he imprisoned him, placing him under guard of four squads of soldiers each. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. But while Peter was in prison, what happened? The church prayed very earnestly for him. So what you see happening is almost a repeat of what happened to Jesus. Herod, the, the, the ruler of the day, arrests one of these believers, kills him. It makes all of the people happy. And so being a people pleaser, being a little bit of a, a lot of a politician wanting to please people, Agrippa realizes, hey, well, I'm going to arrest the other leaders. And he arrests Peter, who was kind of the top dog at the time. And he does it around Passover, the same time as we look in the Gospels, that Jesus is arrested and killed. So this is kind of deja vu for some of these believers. And so they earnestly start praying. This isn't casual. This isn't now I lay me down to sleep. This isn't good God, good meat, good Lord, let's eat, right? They are passionately praying, earnestly seeking God for God to show up and to help them. So we have to expect that trials will compel us to pray. I think God wants us to communicate with him. I think he wants us to put our faith in him. And I'm not at all proposing to you today that the trials we face are because God is lonely and he wants us to talk to him. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that we should expect our trials, the trials of life, however they look, to compel us irresistibly to pray, to talk to God. And that's exactly what happens here in the church. In Acts chapter 12, this is a booming, thriving church. People are being added daily. They're growing. The men who at one time had abandoned Jesus now they're leading the church, and they get arrested, they get beaten up, and now they're turning the world upside down, and the world wanted to kill them for it. Let me tell you that other people are not always going to be as passionate about what you're passionate about. And if you're passionate about Jesus, if you're passionate about loving people, if you're passionate about making a difference in this crazy world, I promise you there are going to be swarms of people Lots of situations that are going to constantly come up in your life to keep you from doing that, to keep you from being on that mission, to keep you from succeeding in your journey with Christ. And so we would be silly, we'd be naive to think that we say yes to Jesus and everything becomes easy. What we see in the Scripture, on the contrary, 
is we say yes to Jesus, and all hell typically breaks out at one time or another in our lives. Some guy a long time ago in some book, I wish I could quote it to you, but he said most of us are either coming out of a trial, we are in the middle of a trial, or we're getting ready to walk into a trial, a test of some type. That's just the reality of life. And so we should expect these trials to compel us to talk to God, to reach out to the only one who can really help us anyway. Does that make sense? We should be compelled to pray. Think about a soldier here at Fort Campbell going to air assault school. He would be crazy to think that he's going to eat donuts and drink lattes in air assault school. What he should be expecting is lots of push-ups and flutter kicks and a 12-mile road march. As fully devoted followers of Christ, we shouldn't expect this cushy, easy journey when we're doing tough, hard things for Jesus. But we should always expect that God is going to show up and he's going to be with us in the middle of our troubles, in the middle of our trials. Even if you're, you aren't following Christ, let me just tell you, expect trials. They're going to come. So we expect trials to compel us to pray, but expect peace when you do pray. Expect God's peace when you do pray. Let's keep reading. Verse 6 of Acts chapter 12 says this, The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate, Suddenly there was a bright light in the cell, and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, Quick, get up. And after the chains fell off his wrists, the angel told him, Get dressed and put on your sandals. And he did. Now put your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell following the angel, but all the time he thought it was a vision. He didn't realize that it was actually happening. They passed the first and second guard posts and came to the iron gate leading to the city, and this opened for them all by itself. So they passed through and started walking down the street, and then the angel suddenly left them. What a weird story. What a weird, weird story. Essentially, what happens is Peter's in the jail cell, locked up. The church is praying. Peter's praying. The angel comes. God sets Peter free, and it takes Peter a couple of minutes to realize what's going on in that story. I love to take naps. I've shared that with you in past series. I think naps should be mandated by law. I love the recharge. My time in the army taught me the fine art of taking a nap. Again, I I can take a nap anywhere. I've taken a nap uh, in a bathroom stall while everyone else was doing busy work cleaning. I was catching some Z's. I've slept in a foxhole while my buddy was pulling guard duty. I've slept in vehicles, slept just about everywhere in the rain and cold weather. I love taking naps. I'm talking about that good kind of sleep, you know, the kind where you're like drooling and you're on another planet, the kind where you're so deep in your sleep that you're trying to wake up and you actually can't wake up, you know, those kind of dreams. That's the beauty of nap taking. You should try it sometime, just not right now. You guys need to wake up. Peter, he's so asleep that he doesn't even realize this angel shows up. Now, back during our our Christmas series, we talked a lot about angels. And when angels show up, there's usually accompanied by a phrase, fear not. Angels are not some nice little cute, cute, chubby things that we're going to see around Valentine's Day. Angels in the Bible are powerful, very impressive, very, very, uh, very big types of beings. And so every time an angel shows up, the angel has to warn, has to say, hey, fear not. I'm not going to kill you. Fear not. You know, I come and whatever. Uh, so I'm just thinking if I were Peter, I don't know that I would stay asleep when an angel shows up in the room. Again, I'm not Peter, but I would just like to think I would probably wake up, but not Peter. He is so into this rest that the angel actually has to poke him in the ribs, kind of give him a nudge to wake him up. I wonder why. I wonder why it took all of that to get Peter 
up and moving. Now, you can read in Mark chapter 4, there's an awesome story similar to this deep type of napping, and it involves Jesus. In fact, you can read about it in Mark chapter 4, verse 38. It tells us that in the middle of a storm, Jesus and his apostles, they're out there, and a storm comes, and the apostles are panicking, and they're snotting, and they're crying, and they're freaking out, thinking that they're going to die. And Mark 4.38 tells us, but Jesus was asleep on a pillow. Fascinating. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. In the middle of the storm, wind, waves, chaos, people screaming, the King of kings, Lord of lords, Prince of peace, Jesus, he is taking a nap. What an awesome picture of who Jesus really is in our mess and in our storm. In my old office, I used to have a picture of Jesus walking on the water, uh, and it was kind of just that reminder to me of when everything seems chaotic in my life, there's this guy who loves me who he's not freaking out. And so it's kind of this image of if the master is not panicking and I'm with him, I don't need to panic. It's kind of like when you're flying a plane. When the pilot says, "Uh uh-oh, then it's time for you to panic, right? If the pilot is calm and cool, I'm going to be calm and cool. But when the pilot gets nervous, then I'm going to be nervous. And what we see in Mark 4.38 is that Jesus is not nervous in the storm, even though everyone else around him is. What does that have to do with Peter? Guess who was on the boat with Jesus in Mark? When Peter, when Jesus is asleep, Peter knows about that story. He's there. He's present the time after time after time after time when Jesus didn't panic. And so you fast forward to Acts chapter 12, all these years later, and I'd like to think the reason that Peter is taking such an awesome nap is he had prayed, he trusted in God, the church was praying, and he was experiencing the peace of God that passes all understanding, and he was just able to sleep. Some of us, we have school in the morning and we get nervous. You remember those school butterflies, right? Some of us, we, we get anxious because we ate maybe one too many burritos and we can't sleep. We toss and turn. Some of us, somebody's, you know, if you, you had an awkward exchange with someone, you know, you missed the handshake. You went for a handshake, they went for a fist bump, and now you're being neurotic and you can't get it off your mind, and so you lose sleep thinking about an awkward situation. Here Peter is on the verge of death. If ever there was a time to toss and turn, and he's asleep. He's passed out, resting in God. I think that's completely connected to the peace of God that came through prayer. I also think it's connected to his witness and seeing what Jesus had done. So he's modeling Jesus. But I can't help but think that God gave him this supernatural peace that it was going to be okay no matter what happened. When you trust in the Lord, you should expect peace. When you talk to God, you should expect him to give you peace. When you pray over a situation, expect this peace of God to guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. This angel is sent to Peter, but it was prayer. I believe it was prayer that sent this angel there. What do you expect when you pray? What are you expecting? One of my favorite old church songs, it's an ancient church song, not like old like 10 years ago. I mean, this is an old song. But one of my favorite lines from that song says, oh, what peace we often forfeit, and oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we don't bring everything to God in prayer. Expect trials to compel you to pray. Expect the peace of God. Expect peace when you do pray. And then finally, Expect God to answer your prayers. God is not rude. He answers us when we pray to him. Now, here's the deal. Sometimes his answer is yes, and that's awesome. Sometimes his answer is no, and that's not so awesome, but no is still a what? An answer. Sometimes he says yes. Sometimes he says no. Sometimes 
God says, not yet. And I know in my life and in the life of my friends, that seems to be God's most consistent answer with us. Not yet. Calm down. You got some more to learn. Not yet. But here's another cool answer that God gives us. Something better. Sometimes we go to God with a request thinking this is the thing we want, and he has something better for us. But God always answers us when we pray. So when we pray, expect God to answer your prayers. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if he's answering prayers in Acts chapter 12, he's going to answer our prayers now in mighty ways. We use this word miracle, and, and simply what we're talking about is something that we can't come up with on our own. We can't fabricate it. We can't create it on our own. It's bigger than us. And Mark Batterson, he says that miracles are the byproduct of prayers prayed by you or for you. That should be all the motivation that you need to pray. The miracles, the miraculous, the supernatural, awesome, only God could show up and do it kind of things, kind of things like saving us, things like giving us health, things like providing for us, things like protecting for us, just all those great things, they only come through prayer. So that should be the greatest motivation for us to pray. Let's wrap up this story. Verse 11 of Acts chapter 12. Peter finally came to his senses. It's really true, he said. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. And when he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. And he knocked at the door in the gate, and the servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. And when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone, Peter's standing at the door. You're out of your mind, they said. And when she insisted, they decided it must be his angel. Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking. And when they finally opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. He motioned for them to quiet down and told them how the Lord had led him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers what happened, he said. And then he went to another place. What an awesome story. Peter gets freed, and he shows up, and he has to knock on the door and keep knocking for them to realize that God had actually performed the miracle and set them free. Here's what we typically do. We pray things like, God, help my husband to grow in his faith. Help my wife to grow in her faith. Help me, God. I need to have a good job. God, help me to lead my family. Or we pray, God, help me to be faithful to you. God, increase my faith and my dependence on you. I want to grow in you. Have you ever prayed any of those prayers? God, I want to just, I want to live for you, God. I want to, I want to love you. God, help me to be a, a good husband, a good whatever. We pray these type of prayers. And then God gives the husband the better job. He puts a passion in the wife's heart to want to live for Jesus. He, he sends some trials our way to build our faith. He sends new people to help us reach him and love him. He puts us in the position. Basically, we pray to God, and God does what? He answers. And we either do three things. We either act like this, servant, this girl, Rhoda. We get too excited to open the door for God to actually move in us. And I know that's an over-spiritualization of knocking on a door and opening it, but, but, it, but work with me here. Sometimes we act like her. And we get so excited we'd never actually do something with the opportunity God provides us. Or we act like everyone in the house and we write off the miracle. We've been praying for someone to come to know Jesus, to have their life transformed, and then they show up and we say, yeah, I've seen that before, and we become cynical. Yeah, it's too good to be true. Or we act like Peter, and it takes us a while to finally come to our senses and realize, oh, man, God really did show up. God really did intervene on our behalf prayer works. It does. The church prayed earnestly, verse 5 of Acts chapter 12. 
Peter was in prison. The church prayed earnestly, and we see God do a miraculous and amazing thing, not only in setting Peter free, but this sets the stage for some really amazing growth that's getting ready to happen in the church that we'll look at in future sermons. You've got to come back next week to see what happens next in the story. But it all starts when they're compelled to pray. How we think not only affects our, our spirit, our soul, our, our, our body, but how we think it actually affects people around us. Prayer is a thinking exercise. We don't turn off our mind, relax, and float downstream when we pray. We, we love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. We're engaged in this. We communicate to God through prayer, and it makes an impact on us, and it makes an impact on those who are around us. Prayer and expectation, this was the norm for the early church. This was their natural environment, believing God to do things because we just call out to him. We ask him to help us. See, we can sing great songs and have a great band and have great venues and have awesome outreach and and great coffee and all of that stuff, but I'm just convinced as a church, if we aren't praying people who really believe that God hears us and God responds, then we're kind of just spinning our wheels. If prayer is the catalyst that causes these great things to happen and we're not a praying people, I mean, what are we really doing after all? Church is earnestly praying in Acts chapter 12. God shows up. But what was the church expecting? Their response to me seemed like they were expecting Peter to die. They couldn't believe Peter was going to be freed. So they were expecting Peter to die. They were expecting some other kind of miracle. But I don't think they were actually expecting God to do what they were praying, which is miraculously provide for them. God had other plans, and he shows up in a great way. Where are you at in this story? When you pray, what are you expecting? I encourage you to expect the miraculous. Expect God to show up. Expect God to help you and to save you and to be with you. Now, prayer is not demanding things from God. Prayer is not telling God what he is going to do. But it is okay to pray and remind God of what he already said. God loves that. Hey, God, this is what you say in your word. I believe your word. I believe your promises. I believe, God, that you're love. Maybe you're here and you don't know anything about the Bible, but you've probably heard someone say, God is love. Hey, that's a great place to start. God, they say that you're love, so could you show your love to me? That's an awesome prayer. Now, imagine one church. If people are praying, God, show your love to me, what's our response in that? I would argue to show the love of God. That means we could be the answer to someone's prayers. That's how it all connects, us serving, us loving. But we can start right there. When you pray for healing, believe that God is a healer and he can help you and that he can show up. That doesn't mean stop taking your medicine. That doesn't mean stop going to the doctor. It means that however it comes about, God, I believe you're big and you're powerful and you can heal me and you can help me. When you pray for a financial increase, help me out. Stop complaining about your job because God's kind of answering your prayer by giving you employment and giving you a way of escape, a way to help. FPU's going on, and, and that's awesome. Those are people who are praying, God, help me with my finances, but they're doing something. And God is answering their prayer through FPU and through those facilitators. What are you expecting? Prayer isn't demanding God. Prayer is renewing our minds and reshaping our reality to see what God is already doing and what God already wants to do in us and through us. Pastor Stephen Furtick, he says a lot of our prayer resolves around trying to get the problem to go away rather than having God come in to our problems and perform a miracle. Prayer 
is our highest appeal, not our last resort. We don't want to be last resort people when it comes to prayer. We want prayer to be the first and most important thing we do. So let's land this plane. What do we do with what we've learned in Acts chapter 12? Four quick things. First thing we need to do is pray regularly. Pray regularly. I love how one church is having this awesome uh, surge of people connecting to the Bible daily through the YouVersion app. You need to do that. I would encourage you, use your smartphone, set a reminder, pray. Pray for two minutes, five minutes. But the Bible says throughout the Gospels, early in the morning, Jesus would rise to pray. Maybe you're not an early in the morning person. How about just when you wake up, whether that's noon or 4 a.m., but set a reminder, hey, I want to pray. And what do I pray about? Start with, hey, God, you said your love, help me. God, thank you for being good to me. Whatever. It doesn't have to be complicated. So pray regularly and pray relationally. The church was earnestly praying together. So that means I'm going to pray relationally. I know in my family we have a rhythm of praying together before we go to school. We pray together at night. It's just a a regular rhythm. So pray in your small group. Get in community group. Pray for other people. Don't pray alone. And then pray expectantly. Pray believing that God is already going to answer you. So that means keep a journal. Keep a note of the things you're praying for so that you can go back and see how God's going to show up and he's going to help you. And then finally, pray actively. Don't be a passive prayer. Don't wait for the junk to hit the fan in your life to start praying. Develop that habit now of praying actively. I'm going to talk to God on the way to work. When I get a moment of peace, hey, God, you're awesome. Hey, that's good. Just those little conversations are the catalyst to a great prayer life. Prayer works because God works. It's that simple. So my prayer is that you would connect to one church when you come on Sundays, having prayed during the week, and believing that God is going to do great things here when we show up. Prayer isn't the only thing we can do, but it is the first thing that we should do. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your power. Thank you for every single person, God, who's connecting to this message today. You know where they're at and what they need. And God, if there's a person uh, who's just not really walking in relationship with you, I pray this would be the moment right now where they're at, that they would say, God, forgive me. I've tried to do it on my own, and I've blown it. Help me. Forgive me. God, I want to know you. Maybe they just need to take the first step of saying, God, I'm mad at you. God, I'm frustrated with you. God, you confuse me, but I want to know more. And God, I pray that that prayer would be the catalyst to something great. For the person here who does love you and is living for you and is following you, but God, they're just in the middle of a junky season of life. God, I ask that you would help them to experience your peace that passes all understanding. God, that they would know you more in a real way. Help them, God, as they press into what it means to truly believe that you hear us when we call to you. And I thank you so much, God, that you already know what we're going to say before the words are on our lips. The Bible tells us, help us to be people who pray because we know when we communicate with you, God, great things happen. We see it happen in the scripture, and we know, God, that you're more than able to do that. Thank you that our connection with you started with prayer. And God, I thank you that our journey with you is fueled by being compelled to pray to reach out to you. God, we love you, and we thank you for hearing us, and I thank you for what you're going to continue to do as you bless your people in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for connecting with us.